The Old Testament lesson for the fourth Sunday in Advent is from Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He answered, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Context matters. In fact, sometimes context is everything. So when I heard the words, there's nothing more to do, I was very glad because I was at the dentist and they had found no cavities. Came away with a clean bill of health. My teeth are clean, no cavities. Great news. There's nothing more to do. And I thanked the dentist. I don't like being there. But, but if you heard those words in a different context, as the oncologist is looking at your scan, as your blood work comes in, there's nothing more to do, those words take on a very different hue. They are not welcome. It makes all the difference in the world. Or think about taking a drink of any sort. If you're parched, if you've been in the desert, if you are thinking you're going to die of thirst, then a glass of water, a cold cup of water is life, literally life. Whereas if you're at a party and you're offering a toast, a drink is a completely different matter. It's not life or death, but it is joy and happiness. The same thing goes with washing in water, just like we saw today. Camden is going to have countless baths in her life. And this is not just one among many baths. This is not just the bath that happened to get everyone together. This is not just the strange bath that happened to take place here in church. This is not just a bath by which family and friends commit to Jesus, by which Camden is handed over to Jesus. Instead, this is a bath a bath in which Jesus commits to Camden, a washing with water and the word, which takes away all her sins. 
That's why there's so much context given for baptism, why you had to stand for so long and stand and sit and stand at this point of the service, because we want to make sure that you know what's going on here. This is not just an ordinary washing, but this is forgiveness and life and salvation. This is rescue from death and the devil. It is being brought out of darkness and into light. That is what happened to Camden this morning. That's why this is the beginning of a new life for her. Context matters. It makes all the difference in the world, and I want you to think about that as we approach Christmas. Context matters for Christmas. That's why we have a lesson today from Deuteronomy chapter 18, a lesson in which Moses is preaching his final sermon to the people of Israel. They're at the cusp of the promised land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses does not get to go into the promised land. He has sinned by taking God's word into his own hands. He was proud and struck the rock instead of just speaking to the rock to bring water out. So Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land, but he's still the voice that God is using to declare his promises to God's people. And so Moses preaches one last sermon. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses is remembering where the people have come from. He says, remember what happened 40 years ago at Mount Sinai. God had just rescued the people from the land of Egypt. They were slaves, and they had no hope or no future in themselves. In fact, if Pharaoh's plans went as he intended, they would all die. All the baby boys would have been tossed into the river, and that would have been the end of the people of Israel. But God rescued them with mighty power. Ten plagues, brought them out, parted the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness, and he brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai, which in our lesson is called Mount Horeb. Two different names for the same mountain. And there, in Exodus chapters 19 and 20, God appears to the people of Israel. But listen to how it sounds when God appears to the people of Israel. It's not peaceful. It's not calm. Instead, there is thunder and lightning and smoke. The smoke of Mount Sinai wrapped it, wrapped the mountain all around, and it went up like a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the people heard the thunder, and they saw the lightning, and they saw the fire, and they saw the smoke, and they heard the voice of God, and they said to themselves, we cannot take it anymore. We cannot stand to have God speaking to us. The voice of God came from the mountain, and God declared to them the Ten Commandments. You know them. You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day, and so on down the list. And what God had spoken to the people, his commands, and it was in the context of thunder and glory, the people trembled with fear. And they said to Moses, you go and talk to God. We're going to stay back here. You go and talk to God because he is too great for us. His glory is terrifying. That is the context for Christmas. Bear that in mind as we make our way towards Christmas this week. The glory of God appearing on Mount Sinai, the problem of Mount Sinai, which is this, that God wants you, his people, to be near him, but you cannot come near him with your sin. God wants you to be near him, but in your unholiness, bearing death in your bodies, you have no place with God. And so there's a problem. God spoke to the people and he said, this is true. You shouldn't come too close to me because you'll be burned up. And so I'm going to send you Moses. And then Joshua. 
and then the judges, and then the kings, and the prophets, and the priests. I'm going to send you somebody to stand in the way. But the problem isn't really solved, for all of those men were sinners, just like you and me. All of those men died, just like you and I do. All of those men forgot God, just as every sinner is prone to do. And so that is the context for Christmas. What are we going to do about Mount Sinai, about the thunder and the smoke and the lightning and the glory of God? Notice how much that context contrasts with what people typically think about Christmas in our day. It is not all of the silly things that you know are not really the spirit of Christmas, chestnuts roasting over an open fire and Jack Frost nipping at your nose, or is it your toes? One or the other. Jack Frost is around. That's what people think Christmas is about. You know that's not true. You know that those are kind of trite and superficial. Sometimes people take Christmas a little bit more seriously, and they observe the fact that Mary and Joseph had no place to stay, that they were rejected, that they were turned out, that they were turned away from a home. And so people think that Christmas is about social justice. It's about fighting for the poor and the defenseless, the refugees. That's not what Christmas is about. It's not even about this. As Jesus lies there in the manger, as we sing, no crying he makes. It's not about a baby reminding us of innocence and vulnerability where we've all come from. It may as well be a puppy laying in a manger if that's what Christmas is about. The context for Christmas is this, the smoking and fiery mountain of Sinai where God's glory is present, that we cannot approach. That's the problem. God wants us to draw near, but we cannot come near to him. So what is he going to do about it? Listen again to what God said to the people in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like Moses from among your brothers. Listen to him. That's who Jesus is, a prophet like Moses, one appointed by God to speak God's word to his people, but better than Moses in every way. Better than Moses in that he does not die, but he lives forever. Better than Moses in that he is perfect, without sin. Better than Moses in that he is humble, without any pride. Better than Moses in this, that he is God himself dwelling among us. After all, what could Moses do to save us from our sins? What could Joshua, what could King David, what could they do to save us from our sins? But God himself, when he takes on human flesh, now the impossible has become possible. That is the cure for Mount Sinai. That is the cure for the problem of Sinai. That's the cure for trembling and fear and doubt and despair. That's the cure for sin and death. It is not a cute baby lying in the manger, but it is the Son of God. It is the Son of God setting aside his glory, his divine glory, his eternal majesty, setting it aside so that he can be with us for our good, to live for us, to die for us, and to take us with him to heaven. That's what John the Baptist came preaching. The people, the Pharisees, wanted to know, who are you, John? He was perplexing to them. They thought maybe he was the prophet that God had spoken about in Deuteronomy 18. Maybe you're the one who we should look for. But John said, nope, I'm just like the rest of them. I'm a man like the rest of them. But there's another one who is already here, John says. Now this is surprising. When God appears throughout the scriptures, when he appears in his glory, you know he's there. 
But when Jesus is there among the people in the land of Judea and Galilee, look at that. They didn't even notice him. They didn't even recognize him. He was veiled in humility. He had to be pointed to. John saw him coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is what we ought to watch for this Christmas. God, in order to save us from our sins, hides his glory. Hides it in the weak and frail human flesh of Jesus Christ. So don't overlook it. Don't miss Jesus this Christmas. Don't be like at a party where there's somebody sitting in the corner and you never even noticed that they were there. Don't be like that towards Jesus, as though he doesn't really matter, as though we can have our festivities, as though our days can go on, as though we can celebrate the way we want to, as though Jesus doesn't matter at all. Jesus is here. Try to reckon with that this week. Of course, he's born at Christmas. That's what we celebrate, his birth at Christmas. But he's here even now. Have you noticed Have you noticed that Jesus is here? The Son of God is in our midst. That the way has been prepared for him to come into our hearts to forgive us from all of our sins. This is what John came to do. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. Listen to what Isaiah says about that voice. It's a voice that makes straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley lifted up and every mountain and hill made low, the rough places a plain and the uneven ground level. That's what John came to do. That's what God's law does to us. That's what the fire and the smoke and the lightning and the thunder do. They move the mountains. They move the sin out of our hearts, the obstacles, the pride, everything that gets in the way so that we are found sitting here, humbled and laid low, ready to receive Jesus. He is here. Listen to him. That's the command that God gives through Moses to the people. This prophet who's coming, this prophet who's like me, Moses says, this prophet who is going to be perfect, who's going to save you from your sins, this prophet, what should you do about him? You should listen to him. It's unimpressive to listen to somebody. It doesn't seem like much, especially when his voice is as soft and meek as the voice of Jesus. But there is our salvation. Listen to him. Listen to what he says to you. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Take upon yourselves my yoke and my burden, for they are easy and light. Cast all your anxieties on me, Jesus says. Give me every one of your sins, all of your grief, all of your despair. Let me have it. Do not tremble any longer. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious, but instead draw near. This is what makes a baptism today so wonderful. Because Jesus even invites the little children. Let them come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. He calls all of you, the least and the greatest, the largest and the smallest, the richest and the poorest, the wisest and the most foolish, all of them, every last one of us, he calls to himself. Listen to him and rejoice that we have such a gracious God. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.